0: Hold on to your butt. Welcome to episode 49 of the Civil War Breakfast Club Podcast. As always, I am joined by Mary, a woman who just got promoted to Queen of the Blizzard Machine. I am literally only Darren.
1: <laughs> Hi, Mary. Hi, you're not only Darren. Especially I'm since
0: literally only Darren.
1: <laughs> you're not literally only Darren. Aren't you well, the artist? You Aren't a, you the it, artist form formerly known as Darren?
0: Have well, you reached you that
1: level yet? I mean we are almost
0: Mayor, if you look up in the sky and you give a clear eye, you will see my symbol, which is a beer can and a moon. And that's how you can tell it's me. So I'm literally only (laughs) there. That's the artist formerly known as Dare. Anyways, how are you? What's going on? I'm
1: good. Well, thanks for the congrats on the uh, promotion too. Yeah, it's
0: pretty, pretty exciting getting promoted, huh? It that's is. very. It's always going to get value of your work being done well. So congratulations, yes. I'm very Thank proud of you. You did a great job. Thank you. Fantastic. So that's good stuff. As you want to move on up the corporate ladder at the old DQ and yep. Kin Cardine, but you know something, you keep working hard. Pretty soon you'll be on fries. Yeah, exactly. It's just a manager, and like they say, that's when the big bucks are rolling. Exactly. So, yes. Okay. How was your week overall? We haven't talked since last last week when yeah. we talked about a pretty cool episode. I thought.
1: Yep, about Monocacy. My week's been good. Mm-hmm. How
0: about you? Oh, it's been absolutely swimmingly. It's going great. It's rained every day, just about, <laughs> but it's nice today. So. Hey, but oh, your born Braves had
1: an awesome game last night. Oh, they did. They that did, ending was fantastic did. with that home run.
0: It was. It was good to see them do well. But enough about baseball, Mayor. We have plenty of things to talk about here. We got some old school stuff to talk about. Actually, since I am hosting this shindig today, I get to ask you what you are drinking today as we get started.
1: I am drinking a beer by Collingwood Brewery called Downhill, and I thought that was quite appropriate for uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, which is First Bull Run or First Manassas, because it starts off okay for the union, but then it just goes all downhill. And I am drinking it out of my Iron Brigade Gettysburg mug, because the Second Wisconsin is here. And as we all know, they become part of the Iron Brigade later on. But they're here. They at... do? Yeah, they do. Oh, that's right. they do. If you want to learn more about the Iron Brigade, check out our episode about the iron brigade which was oh, episode right. 40
0: that was fantastic well look at you oh, someone's prepared today holy moly Someone's has more than five seconds repairing. <gasps> so Parker. as you mentioned we are doing for okay well thank you so much we are doing first manassas or first bull run for battle first manassas yes. and so for the same reason you are i'm drinking lagunitas super cluster because that's exactly what this damn <clears throat> battle is Cluster and and since William Sherman is at this battle, okay, he is. He is Colonel Sherman at this time. We're going to call, I'm drinking out of my diehard Sherman beer mug. So that is that. First, Manassas is the first big real battle of American Civil War. So I thought maybe before we we kind of jump into, we talk a little bit about the setup to this. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we did a whole episode on secession. and we don't want to go reinvent the wheel with this whole thing. But I think it's important to kind of talk about how they got to yep. Manassas, Virginia, right? You know, obviously December 20th, 1860, the South Carolina is going to secede February of 1861 the Confederate States of America is established with the capital in Montgomery Alabama we we talked before in the previous podcast about how there's this incredible tension going on between the North and the South at this time Mm -hmm. right April 12th 1861 that tension literally explodes Mary with the firing of Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor South Carolina
1: it's like a beer can that's been shaken Um, for what 50 years
0: a long time April 14th Robert Anderson surrenders a garrison to Pierre-Gustave duton Beauregard his former artillery student at West Point. And from there, it kind of goes. So April 15th, President Abraham Lincoln marries the 16th president of the United States. He had the hat. He issues a proclamation calling up 75,000 volunteers to put down this rebellion. Of course, the Confederacy, the next day, Jefferson Davis, he's the president of the CSA. He responds by calling up 100,000 Southern volunteers to protect his quotation fingers country. And that Lincoln call for volunteers has a trickle-down domino fact because it causes four more states to secede, including Virginia, voted 88 to 55 to mm-hmm. secede. It was closer than people think. And they're gonna refuse troops that are going to be going from Washington through Virginia to South Carolina. So that's going to be kind of leading up to this. This is not a Republican versus a Democrat thing. This is all parties. Stephen Douglas had mentioned on May 1st, 1861, that there could be no neutrals in this war, only patriots and traitors, which is a fantastic quote. Davis moves his capital to Richmond, Virginia, which is less than 100 miles from Washington, D.C. What you're going to have is you're going to have both leaders, Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln, kind of blowing the conch shell attracting soldiers to their respective capitals to protect them because they're thinking, well, we need to protect these capitals. As we all know, Robert E. Lee, on April 18th, he's going to be offered command of the Federal Army. He's going to say no. Mm On the 20th, he's going to resign his commission. It was 420, so he probably celebrated accordingly, realistically.
1: (laughs) Of all the Confederate generals, who would you think would, would smoke weed?
0: Robert the, Robert old,
1: Robert so, E Lee would be the last on my list.
0: You no, know, but you know what though—the old school Robert E Lee, Harper's Ferry Robert E Lee probably would, because those pickers look like he might be a little bit right. He looks very kaleidoscopic a little yeah, bit. I think APA is more likely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of these guys, do, you know, gosh, there's many guys we can talk about with that. He's going to be appointed to command those Virginia forces. He's going to be made a brigadier general because he was only a colonel at the time. In Washington, D.C., at the time, it is a complete mess. The state of Maryland is, surrounds it. It is anti Lincoln. It is a border state, but they are very pro secession. Um, Northern troops still have to pass through that state as well to get down to Washington DC leads to that April 19th Pratt Street Riot when a bunch of Baltimore riff-raff hooligans attacked <laughs> the 6th Beloved 6th Massachusetts Mary coming through that state at least four American soldiers dead 12 civilians dead ends up with Lincoln putting Maryland in that martial law mm-hmm. he's going to put the legislature in jail so they can't get together and vote on secession he needs to suspend habeas corpus so you have a lot of a lot of things going on and what you have is you have two armies kind of Preparing, they're loading up. Winfield Scott, a Virginian, by the way, Mary. He's commanding the government, um, I mean the um, the Union Army at the time. He's about a thousand years old, and he weighs about a thousand pounds. I was going to
1: say they they um, have to use um, a special thing to lift him onto his horse. And every afternoon, uh, Scott has a nap. Well, so, let's just
0: say he ain't going to the cupola. I'll tell you that right. No, now. No, he's not going okay? to the cupola. He ain't making up there. He draws up <laughs> that, anac- that anaconda plan, that naval blockade that goes from Virginia all the way to Texas. Yeah because he wants to hurt the South's ability to export and import. So the South is really hunkering down and preparing to defend its land. They're not going to be looking to invade anybody. They just want to defend. The North, that Union army, like I said, is they're massing around Washington. What you're trying to do is you're trying to use the city of Washington at the time as a big training ground. These guys are all green. Yeah. Really on both sides they're green. The soldiers that they look at this is exciting for them. They're It's almost like they're going to summer camp. They're finally getting away from these farms, their homes, yeah. their taverns. And they're, they're having a great time. This full of Patriotism. The city is, is going crazy with patriotism. The soldiers everywhere. What this is kind of doing is leading up to when these guys ultimately finally clash. There's that issue with Colonel Elmer Ellsworth. Yes. In Alexandria, he has that. He raises yes. that New York City fireman. Route to, yeah, drop. the
1: 11th New York, right?
0: The 11th. He ends up getting killed by a guy named James Jackson, and that's going to galvanize the North because he sees that Confederate flag, you know, on top of that Marshall House Hotel, mm-hmm. and he goes to take it. He gets shot. So these little flashpoints are happening. That's really drawing the patriotism out of the Union. Virginia is a little different. It's a gigantic state, it's a powerful state, but it's not a completely Confederate state. The western part of the state is actually very pro-Union. They're not very secessionist. What they want is they want Lincoln to send some troops over there to protect their assets yeah. from these secessionists. So Lincoln is gonna send a guy named George McClellan. We've talked about him. He's in charge of the Army of the Ohio at the time. His job is to keep those rebels away. There's a guy named George Porterfield out there, a Confederate, and he's kind of causing issues. Yeah. They want to keep him away, at least the Battle of Flipley on June 30th. What it basically does, it makes McClellan a hero. And they're starting to feel like they can do no wrong. Like this yeah. is gonna be easy. You know, this is, you know, he walked right through these Confederates again. They it did have some issues, though, on the 10th down at the Battle of Bethel Church. Another masked guy, Benjamin Butler, gets beaten up by John Magruder. Yeah. And he blames another masked guy, Ebenezer Pierce, for the loss, but whatever. But it's not all good stuff for the Union, but what it's doing, it's kind of giving them a little bit of experience. These armies yeah. are totally green and it's starting to show, but most of them are gathering around their capitals.
1: Yeah, well, and the troops in D.C., like Sherman was in D.C. at the time, obviously, because he he's a colonel at the time. He's there with his troops and he said that the appearance of troops in D.C. was good, but it was manifest that they were far from being soldiers. This is going to be the theme of the Battle of Bull Run. Now, you have the success of McClellan at Philippi, but that, that's something we'll probably talk about at the end of this episode that you know Mm -hmm. this could be a mcclellan you know it could be a mcclellan thing that he might be able to boost the morale of his troops or whatever and train these green troops really really well but general scott is not happy with how things have been going sherman remarks that he seemed vexed with the clamor of the press for immediate action and the continued interference in detail by the president secretary of war and congress july the 4th congress is going to meet and the message that lincoln sends is good and strong it he is recognizing the fact that the civil war is upon them sherman says that compromise of any kind was at an end. And Sherman feels, you know, after this um, meeting of Congress happens on July the 4th, that they were able to get stuff done because the Southerners weren't in their fucking stuff up anymore. You know, it's people that are all on the same page, and they can work with like definite plans and ideas. But the one thing that has happened, you know, is this the Capitol being moved from Montgomery to Richmond, placing it 100 miles from DC, all of a sudden, the media is like, oh my god, on to Richmond. And you see the papers with this slogan. So so that's one thing that happens. But the other mm-hmm. thing that I think we need to talk about is the enlistments of the soldiers and the fact that they're well, only ninety days and that is the that, huge that's thing That's the here. big
0: thing. Yeah. That's the big thing. For what moving the capital of Richmond was kind of a thank you for seceding thing. Many of those guys, those seventy-five thousand guys, signed those those three month 90 day papers. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're close to expiring. And yep. so yeah, some guys are probably going to re-sign, but a lot of guys aren't. Not everybody did 98 papers. There are guys who did two- and three-year papers, but yep. the line shared to 90 days. If the Army, and you mentioned this whole on to Richmond thing, this pro-McClellan on to Richmond, this rah-rah thing, which was yeah. the outcry. That was a battle cry at the time. If they were going to go to Richmond, it had to be soon, right? If the army was going to end the rebellion and march on that city, it had to be quickly because you had to build on McClellan's success. You but you had to do it. So if you are the Lincoln in the administration, you've got a challenge of taking green troops. To march on a quotation fingers capital and win with green troops on the 27th of May, Lincoln is going to decide to appoint a guy named Irvin McDowell to lead his this offensive, and he's going to command all the army troops in Washington. He's going to command. It's a little confusing when you look at the older battles, but he will command something called the Army of Northeast Virginia, and that's the Union Army. Yeah. Okay. Thirty-five thousand guys, five division, sixty cannon, pretty good size overall. McDowell he reluctantly agrees. Okay, he agrees because he's promoted by Salmon Chase.
1: Yep, they're right? they're both from um, so- Ohio, they're friends, and Chase describes him at ha- McDowell's being loyal, brave, truthful, a capable officer and he resorts to no acts of popularity but Chase does admit that he doesn't have that he doesn't have the the thing for the troops that McClellan does like he lacks that warmth. McClellan's really able to rally the soldiers and McDowell just doesn't have that. McDowell too said that he was kind of like oh I don't know if I really want to do this like this isn't my thing but he as you said he reluctantly takes this role. He does develop a close friend with General Scott because he serves on his staff. Now the funny thing is is you know he's going to be going into this battle the bull run and he's about to be fighting against Beauregard and Joseph E. Johnston. He was a classmate of Beauregard's at West Point and he also serves on the staff of Joseph E. Johnston at one point too. So he he has a lot of connections with people he's working with as Mm -hmm. well as people he's going
0: to be fighting against too. Now this guy's not here but he's also the cousin-in-law of John Buford. So he's this already yes. related. It's already related. He's from my, my favorite city in the world, Columbus, Ohio, Mary. That's where he's born. Ew. And yeah, your, to your point, his real issue with taking the army. Now, it's a great opportunity. He has a chance to be a national hero. These troops are green and he knows this could be bad. It could go bad. Lincoln, at the, he promotes him and he famously says, you are green, but they are green also. And as Kermit once said, it's not easy being green right on either side. The
1: thing to remember is everybody is green including mm-hmm. Lincoln including his cabinet like they are in going into a crisis that nobody in the world has ever like mm-hmm. faced before,
0: you know. No, but he he had no choice. He had to take it. I mean, he's being appointed the reality is yes, they're green but it is the opportunity of a lifetime career-wise for a military mm-hmm. guy, right? So he's going to do it. Meanwhile, in Richmond, okay, Richmond is the capital now. They're mobilizing their forces. They're going to be going to a railroad junction just outside of Washington near a town called Manassas, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Manassas Junction, which is about 40 miles outside of Washington. These Rebs, just like we said a second ago, they're very inexperienced. A lot of them wear blue uniforms, federal uniforms, which we're going to talk about later with this because yeah. it's, a, it's a big part of this. There are some like, you know, Wheats First, Louisiana Battalion. They're gonna those Zouaves and the Union mm-hmm. guys of Zouaves, like the 14th Brooklyn, we'll talk about. Yep. So, you can kind of see where this is kind of going. The Confederacy, of course, to make things even more confusing, they call themselves the Army of the Potomac. Yep, because why not? That's what they're called. Did, so um, why would what, you?
1: did the PR or whoever comes up with the names, Did the um, did the feds post for a job and it paid more? <laughs> is that <laughs> no, what happened but- there?
0: So when we talk about Army of the Potomac, we're talking about the Confederates. And we talk about the Army of Northeastern Virginia, we're talking about the Union. That's how this one's going to go. Oh, and by the way, the Confederates wear blue and the Union's wear gray. So besides that, everything's in good shape. (laughs) See, this is why it's called a clusterfuck. (laughs) So they have 22,000 guys, 40 cannon. They're under the command of West Point Classmate, as we mentioned, McDowell, pierre gustave Toutant beauregard Or Beauregard,
1: as we call Biregard, him.
0: Beauregard, exactly. He's eight brigades. He also had another army by Joseph E. Johnson called the Army of the Shenandoah, mm-hmm. which is in the valley at the time. He's got about 10,000 guys and an additional 20 cannons. He's got four brigades. And his headquarters used to be at Harper's Ferry. They got they moved to, uh, to Winchester. Mm-hmm. So the Federal Army, they're also in the valley. They've got a small force of 18,000 guys by a guy named Robert Patterson. Who's about actor, 700 Mary. years old. Yeah. yeah. A little yeah, bit younger not, than he's Scott. Not the, he's, he's not the vampire one. He's, that's all we're talking about. Different about Patterson. <laughs> Same age, though. Okay. But he's coming in the Army and Department of Pennsylvania. He's got two divisions. Now, McDowell, he's, go, he's like, all right, I'm going to take this gig. I'm going to do it. Here's my plan. I'm going to take Patterson's Department of Pennsylvania. I'm going to move them towards Winchester, and I'm going to go ahead and hit Joseph E. Johnston. I want to keep him plugged there. I want to lock him in because I definitely don't want him being able to move to Manassas to participate and support Beauregard down there. McDowell is going to be advancing his army to fight Beauregard at the bull run. He really wants to keep Johnston away. If that's 18,000 guys, it's got 20 cannon. The more, the merrier is what he wants to... uh, To focus on his guys and the least the Mary, he wants to focus on the Army of the Potomac, which is now Southern.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, too, that he might be relying on is just in case he needs Patterson to come down and reinforce him, too. No, it does.
0: So, July 16th, 1861, McDowell, he is going to leave Washington to fanfare and aplomb. The crowds will be in the streets cheering for him. Rah, rah. Everyone's excited because they're going to get a quick and easy victory over these southern rebellions. It's going to be over. But the South also felt the same. They felt this was going to be easy, too. Leroy Pope Walker, the first Confederate Secretary of War, and he says, and I quote Mary, all the bloodshed as a result of secession could be wiped up with a handkerchief.
1: Oh, we're bringing that up again, are we?
0: There we are. That's what he I said. I believe okay? that there
1: was somebody else that said all the blood that's going to be shed could be collected in a lady's thimble. There yeah, were well, wow. Everything comes full circle. Yeah. Who said that, quote of yours?
0: Someone that's did. Right. You don't. <gasps> someone did. Oh, well, he must. Be I believe it was the Irish. thing that
1: was mentioned in Ken Burns. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. We had this anyway. debate like almost a year ago.
0: We did, we actually did, but I have a <laughs> quote it. though. I, I, found a Yo, quote. I found the quote okay? too. It's but in here's the thing: earlier episode. Virgi- Virginia in July is extremely hot and it's extremely miserable as far as weather goes. Right, so the heat combined with undisciplined troops. Slowed McDowell's march from Washington down to Manassas. Right, a lot of these troops. This was spring break. This was Daytona for them. They're they're oh they're having a great time. problems. They're on their way. They're, they're getting into houses. They're getting into liquor. I mean, this is this is a party. This is the adventure of their lifetime. Yeah, they keep stopping to pick
1: blackberries. Like both Sherman and mm-hmm. Howard talk about the fact that their troops are stopping to pick blackberries. And actually, that's one thing we should probably mention is that McDowell's army is divided into five divisions. Uh, Tyler commands the first division. Hunter will command the second division. Heinzelman, the third. Runyon, the fourth. He's going to be held back in reserve and then dixon miles will command the fifth division yeah,
0: no doubt so so the 18th of july mcdowell is approaching a town called centerville virginia which is about six miles from the battlefield so he's close it's slow but he's getting there Beauregard knows he's coming okay mm-hmm. he knows he is Beauregard is kept up to date by his movements to manassas because of a spy network out of washington dc okay this is the story of the infamous rose o'neill greenhouse yes She's passing information from Washington to Richmond. Now, Davis, after this battle, Mary, is going to credit her and say that the victory of Bull Run, sorry to spoil the ending, but the Confederates win this one, was because of Yeah, She uses a cipher. Like national-
1: her, yeah, Beauregard credits her too.
0: And he does. So he, she uses a cipher, probably very much like National Treasure, which we talked about. Yep. And uh, what's interesting is she eventually, her story, will kind of go a tangent real quick. She eventually gets captured. And she mm-hmm. gets deported to Richmond. That's what they do. They send her fifty miles away or 100 miles away to Richmond. So later in 1864, she ends up being a blockade runner and she's running boats. She's running from a boat on an, on one of her boats. it overturns and she drowns. yeah because she's right? got so much gold and she's giving a military funeral down in yep. North Carolina. So that's how that's how it is. but but that's that's how they find out. So Beauregard knows they're coming. And so the Intel is there. he knows she's coming. McDowell's sitting at Centerville. And he's looking at maps. You know, he went to that mobile station on 95 ago, one of those yep. shitty maps. And he, he's looking for roads to attack because what he wants to do is outflank them. He looks along a stream near Manassas that's called Bull Run. And he sees this as his opportunity. So on the 18th, McDowell, he's going to take his first division to your point under Daniel Tyler, who you just mentioned. He's going to send him across that Bull Run to a place called Blackburn Ford. Yep. Now, this is southeast of Centerville. And he wants to probe the Confederate lines. He There, he's going to skirmish a little bit. He's going to get driven back by a Confederate, uh, by Millage Bonham, we'll talk about later, and as well as James Longstreet, who everybody knows James yeah. Longstreet.
1: And Tyler's and, been told not to bring on a general engagement.
0: Right. I mean, this is called the Battle of Blackburn's Ford, but yeah. it's more just a, kind of a skirmish. And what's interesting about this is one of the confusion points is the fact that all of these guys had similar uniforms on. So yeah. they were all green troops. And this was an issue that repeated throughout this battle. And it led to a whole bunch of friendly fire incidents. Some of the rebels, literally like a high school basketball game, would tie white handkerchiefs on their sleeves so they knew not to shoot each other.
1: Yeah, Because they all
0: had blue uniforms. And so that's kind of how it was. Joseph Johnson at this point, you know, he gets a message to leave Winchester yeah. and move towards Manassas to help reinforce bureaucrats. Exactly what McDowell thought was going to happen. Yeah. Exactly what it does. He will use trains. And this is the first real example of trains taking troops to Manassas Junction. Don't forget, Manassas Junction is a railroad junction. It's going to be an important piece of the Confederate puzzle of yeah. this entire battle. Robert Patterson, we don't know what he did. But he He didn't do anything to stop him. But he's got no fucking clue. Patterson basically lets him leave. And the best part about it is in his post report, he astonishingly says, I did everything I could to stop him. And he did nothing.
1: Yeah. He let him walk on the
0: train and and go. So And they don't
1: find and and poor McDowell doesn't find out about it until the battle's actually
0: underway. And he's like, information that would have been helpful three days ago. Yeah, he doesn't know McDowell's there. He doesn't know he's coming. Yeah, because he's he's expecting Patterson to keep him at arm's length and hold him off, which he doesn't. So now McDowell is, you know, he's thinking in his head, okay, I'm I'm here. I got these expiring papers. I've got Johnston pinned back at Winchester. This is my opportunity. So on the 20th of July, the day before the battle, he's going to make plans to attack Beauregard that next morning. What he wants to do is he wants to send his troops on that rebel left flank north of Bull Bull Run. Daniel Tyler's 1st Division, he's going to... This is how they're gonna set this thing up. Daniel Tower's first division, he's gonna attack at this at this place called a Stone Bridge, yep. which is right. Everybody's on those, the Stone Stonebridge been, been to um to Bull Run, but it's gonna be a diversion. David Hunter's second Heitzelman, his third division, they're gonna cross at a place called Sudley Springs North, and there's gonna be no troops there. And they, they know there's no troops that's gonna be their primary staging point for their primary attack. Okay, yep. both are gonna to try to outflank the left of the rebel line. And hit them in the rear that's kind of the plan
1: like savannah israel
0: richardson yeah, poor, savannah.
1: poor savannah, poor savannah.
0: <laughs> israel israel richardson who comes wrong in different battles down the road his fourth brigade mm-hmm. under tyler he's going to attack at blackburn's Ford again johnston now he's he's in town. He arrives in Manassas and he goes from Winchester, as we said. The uh, he's gonna end up at Beauregard's headquarters. And we'll talk about that in a second. Now, Beauregard's plan, he's gonna defend, he's gonna guard the Fords at Bulls Run. At Bull Run, he's gonna attack McDowell in Centerville, is what he would, would like to do. It. Mm-hmm. If he can, but really he knows he's gonna defend. He puts Nathan Shanks Evans. His uh, 7th Brigade, which is the smallest brigade, yep. he's going to put them on that left flank right at that stone bridge. That's where they're going to be, okay, along that, that Warrenton turnpike that goes right west to east into the town. He has Colonel Philip St. George Cox's 5th Brigade guarding a place called Ball's Ford. Now, only in America can you have a guy named Cox guarding a Ford called Ball's. <laughs> exactly. But I'm just saying. Okay? <laughs> well, you know who
1: else is at this battle is Sterling A.M. Wood.
0: Sterling A.M. Wood. So, hey, yep. don't Our tell me this is a Shiloh. With a balls forward, cock, you get on that.
1: We're so, sterling a hammer
0: <laughs> millage Bonham's brigade. We this first we mentioned a little bit a bit ago, they're gonna be at Mitchell's Ford, Longstreet, and Jubal Early, his sixth and his fourth, respectively, gonna be at, Blackburn, at Blackburn's Ford as well. David Jones, third, they are gonna be at McLean's Ford. Richard Yule, who we'll talked about him many times, his second is gonna organize at a place called Signal Hill, which is gonna get a lot of their intel up there. Meanwhile, Joseph Johnson, like I hinted at he's going to end up at a house called the McLean house owned by Wilmer McLean. Beauregard's headquarters. He's there under this army of the Shenandoah. You got Thomas Jackson, you've got Francis Bardo and Bernard B and then Kirby Smith is going to come later. So you got some good guys coming and they are there. Jackson's the first
1: to arrive. And when he does, he goes to, to Beauregard's headquarters and Beauregard has no idea that Johnston is on his way. And he's like, what are you doing here? And Jackson's like, no, this is, this is what's happening. And we're we're coming here, and Beauregard's like, you "Yeah, know, the fuck's going." He has no idea what the fuck's going on, you know.
0: But they're going to be at this McLean house, and this the, the great yeah. story with William McLean is that his house is the one. He is the it's the beginning of the battle, and he's going to move to Appomattox, and his house is going to be the one on, on April of eighteen sixty-five where Lee's going to surrender. So he's at the very beginning, he's at the very end. So tough to be him so 720 the night for the battle it's 8 p.m Irvin mcdowell is going to hold a council of war with yep. his division commanders he's still reluctant but he's like we've got to be ready to fight in the morning time is of the essence and again he keeps focusing on these enlistment papers so, this is this we have to do it we have no choice yeah so the 21st the day of the battle it's a sunday all of the pieces are in place now union and confederate for the first major battle of the american civil war everyone's lined up exactly mm-hmm. where they're supposed to be mcdowell's plan that we mentioned before right off the bat naturally it's up because he's got problems he has to move a large number of inexperienced troops on ground that he never really reconnoitered yeah because he's got shitty maps he's got bad maps it's dark he wants to get going at two o'clock in the morning and it's pitch black yeah and that's when he sends
1: out hunter and Heinzelman with twelve thousand men and they're sent from centerville to march along the warrenton turnpike towards sudley springs to to turn to to get around the confederate left these are again green men and the road as it turns out is really not great.
0: The vanguard, the beginning of the brigade they're supposed to go at two o'clock in the morning. They're not really going to get to go till about three. So who knows why they would they would go in late? But it's too dark and you can't move, and there's too many guys, and the roads are too small. So by four o'clock in the morning, they've only gone a half a mile in an hour. So you could be a Canadian with small little legs and move faster <laughs> than that, okay? But that's as far as they've gone, and they haven't moved very far. So what's going on? To your point. But Sherman, right? He was supposed to go seconds, but now he's delayed. Cause he has to wait for Shank. Yep. So it's already getting a, a, a traffic jam. Not the first traffic jam <laughs> in a morning in, in Washington, D.C., by the way. It's not nothing. <laughs>
1: Howard but. talks about the same thing when he's uh, marching. He's with Heinzelman. And when they're going, he said the men had to cross this one bridge and they were like taking off their shoes to cross it and stuff for some reason. And like Howard said, they, they just got delayed. And by the time his men were crossing, it was like two
0: hours after they were supposed to be. Well, well, it's off. it was supposed to get to the Stone Bridge by daybreak. First light they're supposed to get there. And they're late. Tyler's division, that whole delay had a domino effect. That, to your point, you mentioned a second ago, affected Hunter and Heintzelman's divisions mm-hmm. right off the bat. So now it's all screwed up. Now, the Rebs, Nathan Evans' small brigade, like I mentioned, they're sp- they're guarding that stone bridge. So that's going to be the first point of contact. They're going to be behind some hills overlooking that bridge, okay? Evans, by the way, real quick, he's a party bow and marry. This is a fun guy. This is a guy who likes to drink, have a good time, kept yep. a large amount of whiskey in his tents all the time. He just likes to have a good time. He's also an angry fighter. He's a good fighter. He's got some good fighters with him. He's got that Wheats 1st Louisiana Battalion. It's going to be those Tigers. That's what yeah. he's going to have, as well as a 4th South Carolina. We're going to hear a lot about later. 5 o'clock in the morning, You know, local news is coming on. Everyone's starting to wake up. Evans is bouncing off the walls. He's ready for a fight. He's all excited. Tyler's lead element is starting to come at this point. They're starting to arrive at a stone bridge. Yeah. Now, they are going to be three artillery brigades, what so they're going to have. And one thing Evans does not want to do, he knows he's got a small group. He doesn't want them to know how small they are, and he doesn't want them to know where they are. Mm-hmm. So he's going to sit there, and he's going to basically hide. So 5 o'clock, 5.15 in the morning, Tyler opens up his artillery and begins that, f- fish the first battle of Bull Run. Yep. He's going to fire at unseen rebel positions. What he wants to do is he wants them to expose themselves hopelessly, recklessly is what he wants to see them do. Yeah, He wants them to show where they are. But Evans does not take the bait. They're going to fire for an hour and a half over Bull Run just indiscriminately firing at spots. Okay, And they're trying to see where these Rebs are. It's supposed to be a diversionary attack, which is what yep. it was – on that rebel left. Meanwhile, six o'clock in the morning on the other side, Israel Richardson is also beginning his diversionary attack at Mitchell's and Blackburn's Ford because he wants to keep the rebels in place there because he doesn't want them sending troops over to reinforce that stone bridge, right? He wants to keep them there. And so they're also firing shots blindly across looking for the positions too. Ironically, one of the shots is going to hit the McLean house, right? While old beer guard is having breakfast. He's having his McMuffin and his McLatte. (laughs) (laughs) As a shell comes through the roof, and it's going to get him going. Beauregard's going to get up, and now he's going to dander up, and he's going to get ready for battle. And he's because these guys are ready for battle, and they're just waiting for it. But this is playing right into McDowell's hands, is what this is doing. Exactly. What McDowell wants is him to come out, he wants him to show themselves. And so far, as they're not taking it. So by 6:30 in the morning, Beauregard is going to ride out to find his infantry. He wants him to focus on the federal troops that are that that are up at that Stonesbridge area and Mitchell's yeah. and Blackburn's fords. That's where the artillery is coming from. Meanwhile, Evans, Nathan Evans, Shanks, is sitting there at that stone bridge, and he's still sitting there quiet, not responding to Tyler's artillery. Because, again, he doesn't want to show his position, but he is going to send some skirmishers out just to kind of shoot, and Tyler's going to respond by sending skirmishers out, and that's going to be pretty much the extent of that. But Tyler, what the thing about it is he could have sent his entire division right across, right then, and taken it because Evans didn't show what they had. He couldn't do it. He had to wait. And that's going to be important later on. So by 7:30, Evans, he's like, you know what? Tyler ain't coming. Mm-hmm. He's just firing shots. He's gonna send skirmishes. This is a friggin' diversion, and he knows it. He's mm-hmm. like, I, I smell this out. This is I smell this, and it's it is not the cars. I know exactly what this <laughs> is, right? So
1: but doesn't EP Alexander come in and help him out too? He
0: does. So yep. good point. So by nine o'clock in the morning. Evans gets a direct message on his phone from E.P. Alexander, who's it's the chief message. signal
1: officer at the time at the wigwag station. Yeah, he's up. He's up wigwagging with his
0: flags. He's up, he's, you, know, you know, look out for your left.
1: Up. Your position is turned.
0: <laughs> he isn't throwing balls yet. He's These like fuckers are
1: bearing down on you, man. <laughs>
0: So he sends Evans that message to your point. Your position has been turned. because yeah. he sees what he sees. he sees the dust rising from Sudley Spring, and he sees the glitter of the bayonet. So he knows, okay, this whole position here at the Stone bridge is nothing but a diversion. They're going around your left. He figures out and discovers McDowell's plan to go around the left side and get behind the army. So Evans is going to, instead of being idle, he's going to leave his position, leave his brigade, mm-hmm. and he's going to reset up his headquarters at a place called Buck Hill at the Stonehouse. And it's right at the intersection of, of Warrington and the Manassas-Sudley Road. It's right there. You can still see it today. And that's where he's going to be. So in 930, you mentioned that big traffic jam, right? David Hunter's 2nd Division is marching from the north, about a mile from the Rebel left. Ambrose Burnside is running his 2nd Brigade at this time. And he is going to arrive at Sudley Springs Ford and cross and keep moving south down the Manassas Sudley Road. So he's coming bearing right down on Evans' headquarters at the Stone House. Now, yep. Heinzelman, he screws this up because he's the third division. He's supposed to cross at a place called Poplar Ford. Yep. And for whatever reason he doesn't, he just follows Hunter across the Sully Spring Ford. So now instead of a third division that's crossing, ready to fight, they're stuck behind waiting to cross the Ford behind the second division. Yep. So they basically take themselves out of the battle for a while We'll see them later, but it takes them a little while yeah. to well, get there. Well, that's what
1: Howard talks about is this delay. But but Howard also mentions that like, he said that his men were really excited when they started marching and that they were singing John Brown's body as they were mm-hmm. marching, which is really funny because when... When Howard's men leave on the march to the sea in 1864, that's the song they're singing as well. And I thought that was really interesting. The soldiers are singing it all the way through the Civil War. But he said like, so this is something that's going to play into the entire battle. It was hot, the sun's out, and the men are lacking sleep. So Howard is going to be kept behind in reserve for quite a while from about eight o'clock until noon his men have to sit in the hot sun and he remarks that before the end of the second mile as they're marching a lot of them fell out sat down and lay by the road roadside sick or faint and as we are gonna see later this is really gonna play into what happens to him later in the battle but Howard's men are being left behind in reserve. And they're going to be there in the hot sun from eight until about
0: noon. We'll hear from Howard later on. Yeah, I'm sure he's tightening his sneakers right at this point, getting ready for the <laughs> second phase of this battle. So, so by ten thirty in the morning, Burnside's brigade—they're coming down that road, that the Manassas, um, Sudley Road—and they're going to see Evans. Now, he only has nine hundred guys, mm-hmm. and those nine hundred guys are going to are going to really last a while. So, Evans' nine hundred men—they're going to be um, at Buck Hill. Evans is going to have guys from the Fourth South Carolina we mentioned, and that First Louisiana Battalion, Wheat's yeah. Battalion. Um,
1: Wheat's—he's quite the guy. He—he um, he gets seriously wounded here, and he's told he's going to die. And he's like, "Nope, I'm going to be the first guy to survive a wound like this." And yep, does. there
0: you go but they're going to be firing volleys at burnside's guys up so burnside's lead column is john slocum second rhode island we're going to talk about him quite a bit okay different slocum this is john slocum mm-hmm. okay evans is going to have two guns on buck Hill too so he's going to be firing at these approaching lines as well as firing volleys from his from his uh, infantry now burnside is going to put his men in battle formation at this point and they're going to kind of come straddling that manassas Sudley road facing southeast Um, towards Evans on the crest of a a hill called Matthews Hill. And they're going to become basically coming down on them. Now, Wheats First Louisiana is going to charge those second Rhode Island guys across as a wheat field between the two armies. So they're going to go right at them. They're going to get driven back pretty hard and pretty quickly by those federal muskets and that canister fire. Now, even before they get close to the federal line. But this is where the first uniform issue pops up. So they're going to start running back towards the Confederate line and they're going to start taking fire from, from the 4th South Carolina as they scampered back. They got those zouave uniforms on and they don't know who the hell these people are. And this, it, again, they're green troops. So on their way back to Buck Hill, they're getting crossfire from the back and they're getting Hit in the front yep. now. The fourth South Carolina is confused, thinking they're Union troops just because it was. It was funny about it is I'm not sure if what the story was, but you know what the Louisians do? They open fire on the South Carolinians yep. for shooting at them. So the, the union guys sitting back going, well, this is this is something new. So this is the Confederates firing upon the Confederates right off the bat. So like, okay, this is a big mess. But John Slocum second Rhode Island, they're at the point. This is you know, this is a story. That some people know, some people don't. Slocum, he's fired up, he's gonna burn his bonnet yep. little phrase right he's going to pull out his sword and he's going to turn to his guys and he's going to yell at his regiment let's show what rhode island can do And he starts running down the hill and he stops and there's no one following him yeah it's like bluto and animals exactly. let's do it <laughs> what where's the delta house i knew no one follows him so he runs down the slope basically alone and of course he gets shot in the head and killed yep. pretty pretty instantly two guys go to get his body one of them is, is the famous diarist named elijah hunt Rhodes, and he talks about it in his diary he's one of the two guys who went down, down on the hill to retreat his body so slocum is down and they got to promote a guy to take control of their of the regiments and I hate to say it, but it's a guy named Frank Wheaton. <laughs> <God>. Wheaton <laughs> I just, just want to shake my head. So,
1: here you Wheaton go, ben. Is gonna
0: take It's going to take over this, okay? And to his point, he's going to tell his men to keep firing. They're the only regiment on the crest of Matthews Hill at this time. And they're taking casualties quick. They're getting popped and popped and popped at these hands of these Louisiana Tigers who are still back fighting again in these 4th South Carolina guys. Wheaton. Is gonna is gonna on his left end on the left flank. He's gonna put in, in charge a guy, a major named Sullivan Ballou, Right yeah. now, this is the guy who wrote that famous letter to his wife predicting his death. Everyone knows the Sullivan Ballou letter. This is where he's gonna get hit. He's gonna get hit by a shell from Buck Hill and mortally wounded as he's coming that left wing. He's gonna die and won't get into that. But his body gets desecrated and all kinds of stuff. But this is where he gets hit. By eleven o'clock in the morning now you're getting more troops coming on the field. So David Hunter is going to arrive to reinforce Burnside with Andrew Porter, that first brigade of New Yorkers to fight those 900 guys from Evans, right? And of course he screws up his deployment. So Burnside, he gets there and it just takes forever to get these guys set up. Mm -hmm. While they're trying to set up 2nd Rhode Island these poor guys now under Wheaton they're getting their butts handed to them on Matthews Hill and there's no support because you're taking too much time to set up at some point Hunter himself is going to get hit in the neck and leave the battlefield yep and Burnside takes over he does as does William Averill we'll talk about here as well to take over that division it's his adjunct now Burnside he's pretty he's okay with this battle overall he's going to immediately order his troops forward but of course like every other screw up general he does it piecemeal and that's the common theme for brought this back yeah exactly it's a common theme some guys are late to go some guys go in the wrong direction looking at you second New Hampshire things <laughs> go in the wrong direction okay and so, and so Burnside gets pissed off and so he calls up his old first Rhode Island. His old, you know, his old regiment. Yeah. And he's going to order a guy named William Sprague IV, who was the sitting governor of Rhode Island at this time, who was Burnside's aide-de-camp. He, he wants Sprague to go to Matthews Hill and arrange the deployment personally. Now, Sprague, now remember, he's the sitting governor. Just think about the, right? Yeah. You guys have. Governors I believe of, he later marries Kate have, Chase. He does. You guys have queens and kings and princes. We have governors and stuff. But, but <laughs> Sprag- Sprague is going is going to do it. Now it's a great story because as he's going to Matthews Hill to deploy his guys, he's going to be shot off of his horse. His horse is going to be shot from under him. He's going to fall face first in the dirt. He's going to be covered with mud and powder. But he's going to continue to do his orders. So he's going to get it. But what's interesting is he's the only governor ever to be in a Civil War battle. Yeah, sitting governor—that's a good, good trivia question. But after the battle, he survives the battle. He's offered a position as a brigadier general. You know what he says? Nope, I'll just be governor of Rhode Island. Oh. That sounds like that sounds yeah. easier. So that's what, that's what he yeah. does. But the battle so far is starting to turn towards the Union. And by eleven thirty, Evans is is starting to get relieved by some rebel reinforcements. Okay. He's going to get relieved by uh, Francis Bardo, we talked about, Bernard B, from Johnson's Army of the Shenandoah, who has arrived. Yep. And they're coming south, moving north, across a place called the Henry House Hill, which is going to be the primary focus of this battle. What those guys are going to do, they're going to set up a battle line just north of the Henry House Hill. They're going to have John and Bowden, the Six-Gun battery. We talked about John and Bowden yep. from Staunton, Staunton Artillery. And they're going to start to open fire on Burnside's troops, right, causing crazy casualties in the 1st and 2nd Rhode Island. B, and Everett. They're, at this point, they're fired up. They're motivating the green troops. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. That are now at the Henry House Hill. But now he's got 3,000 guys. So the 900 that's been whittling down because of you know attrition yeah. is now up to 3,000 guys. So if the Rebs are feeling a little confident with themselves. They're going to start to march north towards the Union guys on Matthews Hill. This is the mistake they make here because they're feeding right into it now. So yeah. the battle's tilting towards the Union, like I mentioned, especially when Sam Heinzelman's division is going to show up and drive the rebels back. So McDowell, he will now order Tyler's division, who's been chilling at the Stone Bridge over there, to move forward now. He says, come forward. There's nobody here. So they've rolled through those skirmishes Evans left behind, and they're going to move west on that Warrington Turnpike towards our Rebel battle line. Now they're going to hit them right on their right flank, is how this is going to go. So you can see this is going now. The device is is crushing down on this Confederate army. Colonel Sherman, Mary, his third and Erasmus Key's 1st Brigades are going to cross Bull Run. You know, they're part of that Teller's division. Well, Robert Shank his New Yorkers New York and Ohio guys so are going to be in reserve. At this point, the feds outnumber the Confederates probably 3-1 to one at this point in this Buck Hill area. General B, he's going to order his 4th Alabama to charge and face them. Just go right yeah. at them. They're going to get their asses kicked. That's what's going to happen. If you've been there, you know the terrain. You know there's no chance. The Rebs are basically surrounded on two sides at this point with the Union lines closing upon them. Some rally. Guys, the 8th Georgia, they're north they're north in the yep. woods, the northern point of the, where it is. They're going to get shredded by the first Minnesotans. And so by noontime, it's a mass retreat for the Rebels. So they're going to fall back. They're running from Buck Hill. They're running for their lives towards the Henry House Hill. And Bowen's cavalry, I mean, our artillery is is, is going to be supporting them. But this is when things are great. McDowell yeah. rises up to his line. He's chanting, "Victory! Victory! The yep. day is ours!" Yep, they
1: think they've got it. They like, and they're so confident. But this is where you know this is where things start to go. Name of the beer I had tonight. Downhill. Well, nar-
0: nar- narrator voice, Mary. History will soon will soon prove they are counting the chickens <laughs> before they're hatched, <laughs> right? So, South Henry House Hill. You know what's left of Evans. B's and Barton's brigades were really screwed up. They're really cut up. They're going to kind of try to regather and try to regroup. Their losses are really, really tough. But what they did is, kind of like we talked about with monocacy last week with uh, with Wallace, they bought time because troops are coming. Their help is on the way. Exactly, but McDowell does nothing.
1: That's the thing. McDowell doesn't do... We're going to see that McDowell is going to make mm-hmm. a huge mistake here with how he goes about to do
0: battle again in a little while. The first troops that are going to help, that are going to arrive, and they're coming via train on this Manassas Junction is going to be Wade Hampton's Legion, right? Yep. This is infantry, artillery, and cavalry. This is all three. They're going to get off the train, and then go straight into battle, right off the train, right? They come from Richmond, and they're going to hit William Averill, who's now in charge of the division. What's interesting about Averill, by the way, do you know how he made his
1: fortune after the war? Probably something really obscure, I'm thinking.
0: He's the one who invented asphalt. Really? Yeah. So he made a fortune because he invented asphalt. For roads, Well you so can that to so you. You drive on the road, and you you see a nice William smooth road. Th- Thank Averill. So, so April in charge of the Union division. He's going to send his twenty seventh New York to pursue the remnants of the rebels towards that henry hill house right because they're going to figure this is a cleanup method now just go up there and finish them up and they're going to start to take fire from that hamptons legion who i just mentioned had just arrived guys the seventh georgia now what's interesting about the seventh georgia is you know what they're wearing they're wearing blue federal uniforms right so the 27th of course mistook them as federals now they of course they walk right up to them and they get pounded now these are georgians and so they open fire on him. Averill is going to send in the 14th Brooklyn, those Zuwabs, as well as the 8th New York, who, of course, wore gray uniforms. Of course. Because why Why wouldn't you? Yeah. He's going to have them basically fall back. But by 1230, more Rebs are coming. They're going to arrive south of Henry House Hill. And this is where arrives Thomas Jackson. Yeah. You know, Thomas Jackson is in charge of the 1st Virginia Brigade out of Johnson's Army. He shows up wearing his blue dress army uniform. Yep. That's how he's going to dress that day. Without orders, he's going to put his brigade right into battle. Yep. So he he goes up and a-
1: he also forms the artillery into... He does. Too.
0: He sets up right on the slope of Henry House Hill. He has five regiments and he's going to put them just past the hill summit. He's going to have his men lay down away for orders. So they're going to yeah. be ready. They're going to be ready. And he
1: got that um, idea from, I think it was the Duke of Wellington who did that waging war against the French. Yeah. And because I mean, he, he did common. the same thing. Like if you put your men down on the slope, they're not going to see you there. So Wellington would have his men lay down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, this is where he also says his famous, we'll give them the bayonet. And that's from Wellington as well, because that's what British soldiers did as well.
0: He had the the artillery mentioned is in Bowdoin. So he has some Bowdoin's guns with him. Beauregard and Joseph Johnson arrive in the field right around at this point with additional artillery support as well. Now, they also come to rally. Because don't forget, at this point, their guys are beaten. They're falling back. They're regathering. But now they got Hampton's Legion. They've got Jackson's Brigade. They got all of Johnson's army of uh, army of the Shenandoah. They, yeah. They've all arrived. So you got the, the, those ten thousand guys. They've come to you know basically set up more troops. Now they got thirteen guns. They're going to be pretty much ready to defend. So by one o'clock in the afternoon, just after lunch, lunch breaks over, everybody comes back to work. Right? The Union is going to restart the attack on. Henry House Hill. Yeah. Now, the Union attack is disorganized. It's all screwed up. It's piecemeal because that's just the way they do it. Erasmus Keys, right? He's in charge of the 1st Brigade under Tyler. Um, he orders his brigade to advance up the hill. We're talking 2nd Maine and 3rd Connecticut. They're going to try to attack the rebel right flank to drive by Hampton's men, to drive them back. And they actually do it for the most part. The 5th Virginia is going to counterattack and they're going to beat up those Maine and Connecticut guys pretty good and drive them all the way back to that Warranton Turnpike. And what this is going to do, it's going to stabilize Jackson's right flank. So the right flank is pretty much stabilized now, right? Jackson is going to take Jeb Stewart and his mm-hmm. cavalry. He has 150 guys on each side of his infantry. That's how he's going to set them up on his flanks. So he's ready. The feds are going to try another attack up this, up the hill. This time it's the 11th New York and the 1st Minnesota. Again, 1st Minnesota again. You know,
1: yeah.
0: They have batteries also with James Ricketts, we talked about.
1: And Griffin. They're going to have
0: those guns. And Charles Griffin Now Rickett's guns Are going to be in the middle Griffin's is going to have Six guns kind of on the flanks On the outside This time they're going to Try to hit the left flank Right flank Nope Let's try the left flank This time And most of the attack Of the rest of these battles going to take place Right around here Rickett's men Are going to start Taking sharpshooting fire Directly from the Henry Hill house The sharpshooters Who are up in the house They will turn And they will fire A single shot at the house Inside the house Is old Judith Henry Yeah The homeowner Sitting there Probably watching Golden Girls or something Just kind of <laughs> hanging out Price is right The shell is going going to hit in her area and unfortunately she's going to die and she'll yeah. be the first civilian casualty in the American Civil War. If you go visit the house, you can see her gravestone mm-hmm. right outside the house. Yeah. It's just right there still. Judith's daughter, Ellen, who's also buried there right next to her, by the way, during the battle, she was hiding in the chimney yeah. and percussion made her permanently deaf. Yeah. So she lost her hearing because of this battle as well. It's kind of...
1: Yeah. And there's also at this time, Sherman is starting to feed in his men as well. And the first ones he sends forward is the 79th New York and they are absolutely decimated and also killed here at this time. Is a guy named james cameron not the director of the wonderful movie titanic no this is the brother of the then secretary of war simon cameron and he's going to be killed at this battle and i think he is with the 79th new york
0: what's interesting about this too is you see a lot of his names getting killed but yeah around this time of the day so you're talking about one two o'clock in the afternoon you're starting to see all these citizens arriving now all these politicians and these families setting up blankets and picnics and to watch the big battle and they're all showing up this is confederates too it talks about the northern people but it's also confederates who do this too so by two o'clock in the afternoon the first minnesota and then 11th new york are going to try to go to that rebel right again and this is they're going to start bumping into the 33rd the 33rd virginia who of course wears blue uniforms and which is going to rip up the minnesotans again and you love the New York guys again, John Reynolds, Mary, you know him? He shows up here at this yep. point. He's in charge of the U.S. Marine Battalion, which is all Yeah, raw. the Marines are here as well. The old Virginians will drive them back pretty good. Now, these aren't the Marines that you see here, but now these are, these are mm-hmm. pretty much new raw recruits. Now, Griffin's battery is going to lose a lot of infantry support, and they're going to be left exposed. Now, there's a great story of Adele Bart Ames who people know from Gettysburg, he was part, was part of Corps. the 20th, main at one point, 11th Corps, right? He was the one who on uh, Chamberlain took over for. Delbart Ames, when Reynolds, who was his infantry, was guarding the guns, the infantry, when he took off, because he did, he left them completely holding their diaper in the rain. They were just <laughs> there, completely yep. stuck. So Adelbart Ames is going to personally direct the fire of one of the 10-pounder parrot rifles himself. And he's going to be severely wounded He's going to refuse to leave the fields. For that reason, Adelbert Ames is going to get a medal of honor for this. Cause yeah. he's going to protect the guns. The Griffin guns are going to be the focus of this battle for about the next two hours. These, these guns, right? Rebs want them. Union wants to get them. The Rebs take him, you do wants to get back, goes back and forth and back and forth. Stewart's first cavalry, that first Virginia Cavalry is going to charge these Minnesotans and 11 yep. New York guys, and they're going to force them to retreat again. Ricketts battery, these guys are also dropping like flies because they have no infantry support, and the Rebs are also shooting the horses. And so they can't yep. move the guns. The guns are basically stuck. Captain Ricketts, we talked about him in Augustine. He starts yelling, for God's sakes, boys, save my battery. And he'll get wounded and captured later. But he knows you know he doesn't want to lose his guns. Those Griffin guns guns that we talked about, they'll be captured around now by those 33rd Virginia guns. It's going to give the Rebs a huge advantage as we head in the later part of the afternoon.
1: Yeah. And that's where, um, so things are very, very, very chaotic. And that's when Dowell decides he's going to send, this is around the time I think Howard gets his uh, orders. You need to get to Chin Ridge. Right, Mm, yeah,
0: that's exactly. A little while, he's got some time to go. Yes, Uh, Howard's still (laughs) still marching. Yeah,
1: Howard's still. Howard's actually on his way to Chin Ridge right now. He's marching while while this while this is going on. But yeah, reinforcements do arrive on the Confederate side under Colonel Jubal Early, and he's going to extend the Confederate line.
0: So, picture by say three o'clock in the afternoon, give or take, Bernard B is on is on Henry Hill House, yeah, and he's going to ride up to Jackson. He's he's going to see this artillery duel going back. And forth, B is going to send to a, is going to say to Jackson, they're beating us back. And you mentioned before this is when this is when Jackson does say, well, then give him the damn bayonet. Yeah, at this point, right? Yeah. So what's interesting is B and Jackson at this point were kind of peers. Yeah. And B t- B took this as kind of an order. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, all right. Now the field is a complete mess. There's smoke, this fog, there's all kinds of shit everywhere. B's trying to struggle to find his own guys at this point through the smoke and the haze. Yeah. He's going to find the remnants of his cut up Fourth Alabama and he's going to say let's go And, it, and they do they, they point and they're starting to walk towards henry hill house and this is where the whole legend of stonewall jackson comes from yeah they're going to get to the point and they're going to point b is going to point to jackson and say look there stands jackson like a stonewall let us determine to die here today, and we will conquer. Rally behind the Virginians. B, about an hour later, is going to be killed. Yeah. The debate is whether or not he meant that and sarcastically no. yeah. or he meant it patriotically. We'll never know. And we'll never know. It depends how it was. But regardless, that's where Jackson gets his nickname Stonewall Jackson. is because of the line from General B. As I mentioned a second ago, B is going to be mortally wounded. He's going to be hit in the stomach with an artillery shell, yeah. which sounds horrible, by the way. Just saying. B's words do rally those fourth Alabamans, so he gets them going again. Yep. Meanwhile, Francis Bartow, he's rallying his broken Georgians too. Yeah. He's got less than 400 guys at this point, right? He requests – and this is just real Confederate patriotism going on here, real bravery, right? Bartow is going to go to Beauregard and he's going to say, you know, give me orders, you know, whatever. He requests orders from Beauregard and he says, tell me if human efforts can avail, I will do it. Basically, I'll do anything at this yep. point. Beauregard says, um, okay. So he orders. he <laughs> orders Creole. Bartow – He's like, okay, well, see how say so about a million. He, ordered, he, he orders Bartow to go to the back of that stone bridge and yeah. take out that union artillery that's firing on him. So he says, take your seventh Georgia and go take out that friggin' bar that battery that's been giving us a real pain in the ass. Yeah. He's gonna be going, he'll have his shot, his horse shot out from under him. He's gonna fall on his ground. He's going he's gonna yell to his guys, come on, boys follow me. And as soon as he says that, he's going to be shot in the chest. And as he's lying, dying on the ground, his troops are all going to gather around him because they liked him. They thought he was was a good guy. He says to his guys, boys, they have killed me, but you must never give up the field. He says to his troops, which is pretty cool. Bartol become the first Confederate brigade general to be killed in this war. So he's the first brigadier general.
1: The Um, other first that happens here is at one point during the battle, Jackson tells his men, yell like furies. This is the beginning of the Rebel Yell. 3
0: 30 in the afternoon, back at the Henry Hill house. The unions counterattacking versus those 33rd Virginians, yeah. right? They're gonna be using that 14th Brooklyn, those zouaves with those red and blue uniforms they are yeah. gonna be going. And they're gonna be looking again to recapture those two guns and Griffin's battery they lost. And this this is the thing that's going. It's over two I'm guns. Not. It's over I'll two guns. I'll never understand the effort for these two guns. But this is the theme for this whole afternoon. Yep. These two guns from Griffin's battery, yep. right? So it causes mass retreat by the 33rd Virginia. 33rd runs. It exposes the 2nd Virginia. Yep. The 2nd Virginia looks and sees no help. And they turn and they friggin' run too. So now you got these two Virginians in full retreat. 14 Brooklyn by Colonel Alfred Wood. He's going to be attacking the Confederate artillery. And then when he gets done with them, he's going to turn to Jackson's entire line. They're freaking going crazy. They're all yep. fired up. They're all pumped up. The Rebs are going to get reinforced by the 4th and 27th Virginia. And then this is when Jackson tells him, because he sees these 14 Brooklyn guys coming on him. Yep. He says, to your point, I'll let you read a line, but he says, <laughs> he says reserve like your four- fire. Reserve your fire until they get to within fifty yards. Then fire. Give them the bayonet, and when you charge, scream like fury. Yep. and that creates the rebel yell. The rebel yell, which <laughs> nobody knows what it actually sounds like. No, there's some stuff on YouTube you can find. It's yeah. real, real. it sounds like a high pitch, repeating little thing. Apparently, yeah, it depended.
1: Your... Apparently, it depended where you were from. you know how it sounded and all that but this is the first they they think this is the first case of it now whether this is because it's stonewall jackson that it suddenly attached to him it could have been happening before like there was one account of a confederate soldier who said that he went into battle thinking i'm not going to yell and scream or anything like that but then he said the first time he fired his rifle he he was like yelling and screaming and he's like i did that every single time i did it it was a thing that they they did in battle so i think the rebel yell probably was common all over the Confederate Army, you know, at some point, not necessarily because of Stonewall Jackson, but it could be. We'll never know.
0: I mean, I think that's probably what it is. And so, but that's definitely where it gets credit for it. And that's the first example of, mm-hmm. at least people reported that yeah. those troops charging at 14th Brooklyn. So, the 14th, they get pushed back, all the way back to the Manassas Sudley Road. And now you get got these 4th and 27th, these guys at Jackson just empowered, right? They're all excited. And they now they're doing the opposite of the 14th Brooklyn. Now they're going to be going at Rickett's battery. These guns are stuck there because the horses are shot, the infantry shot all around him. Now all of a sudden, the Rebs are in full control of the house on Henry Hill. Right? <laughs> they have that whole area now. And so now it's a back and forth and back and forth between the rebels and the Confederates to take this this hill. The first Michigan under Orlando Wilcox brigade and Heintzelman's division. They're the next ones to be ordered to try to get these two guns. So it's now it's their turn. It ends up being hand-to-hand combat around this Henry House, Henry Hill House, and they cannot recapture these guns. By 4 o'clock, they're driven back. What's left are the first Minnesota and 11th New York and that 14 Brooklyn we just talked about who have been shelled and shot at this entire afternoon. They're going to try one more time to get these guns, and they're going to fall back, right? Yep. Mary, let me ask you a question. When you need something done, you know, what you know who you ask? You ask a bunch of mass holes from Boston. Yep, That's who you ask. Andrew, the 5th and 11th Massachusetts, yep. right? from you know, Samuel Lawrence and George Clark. These are from William Franklin's first brigade from Heinzelman's division. It's their turn to attack. And you know what they do? They get the damn guns. Yeah. They get them, right? They're going to attack those, those last guns. They're going to force Jackson's men's back. They're going to finally capture these damn Griffins' last guns. Now, unfortunately, they can't hold them. They have them, but they lose them again because Hampton's Legion is going to, is going to countercharge. And after some hard fighting, the Rebs get them back again. And it just becomes it becomes kind of a laughable thing at this yep. point. So by 4 o'clock or so, both armies are both still actively pursuing control of these two, these two guns. The Rebs are going to ultimately prevail here. And they're going to finally take them and hold on to them. But that's kind of how it's going to go. So this yep. fighting for the flag of these guns is going to go on forever. William Sherman, Mary, you've heard of him. Colonel William Sherman. Yep. Right? He comes, dare I say, marching down the Warrington Park turnpike. Yep. Now he's going to attack Henry Hill House. Yep. And he's going to have those brigades you mentioned before, the 69th New York and the 2nd mm-hmm. Wisconsin. Well,
1: I, he Brigade. has the 79th with him too, right?
0: Right, right. But the 6th was becomes the Irish Brigade. The, yep. prime, the one that Michael yep. Corgan takes over. So yep. I hate to say it, Mary. He screws up here too. No, because he
1: puts them in, he puts, Sherman puts them in piecemeal. And, but the thing is, is like, this is like, you know, so not only is it these guys that have enlisted for 90 days, it's not only their first time doing battle. It's for a lot of these guys that even though they went to West Point and yeah, some of them have fought in the Mexican American war. This is something that is very, very different for them. You know, Sherman says this was the first time he saw men ripped apart by cannons. And, and, And it was just, it's, They're they're all green here. And he apparently in the hours before the battle, Sherman is like reading, you know, a book as to how to form his men into a battle line because he's never commanded more than 120 men before. So these are like even the officers are very, very green, but he's feeding them in piecemeal. And he should have been feeding them in all at once. And he, so he's his men are facing a much larger force, and that's why a lot of them get absolutely decimated at
0: this battle. No, he he does. He he puts them in. You know, it's, unfortunately, it doesn't work out. To you know, the 13th New York and Isaac Quimby, these dudes mm. from Rochester, they're going to try to attack those Hampton's Legion. And this is where the, where the Confederates kind of play them a little bit. Yeah, Hampton's Legion's guys are wearing those blue uniforms. As the 13th New York and Quimby comes up to them, they pretend to be Union guys and say, "Stop firing! You're firing your own man." Yep. And they stop and they pull their guns and blow them away yeah um, the, the second Wisconsin wearing those gray uniforms they pretend to be rebels yeah the Virginians don't fall for it and fire upon them and so as they run back to their lines what happens it looks like gray troops are, are charging them so yep. they get shot at and they get caught in a crossfire so I mean it's, it's funny such a In these later battles when the uniform issue becomes a little more settled but you can see the mess with this right Sherman's going to send that your 79th guys the 79th to attack Hampton yep. and they're going to get wounded up pretty good including Hampton actually he's going to get hurt at yep, this point yeah Hampton does there's um, a
1: lot of there's a lot of bigger names in the Civil War that get wounded here like Hampton and doesn't Ricketts does too right Ricketts
0: gets, he gets wounded he gets, yep. and he gets yep. he gets captured too Yeah. so Ham, Hampton is 5th Virginia they pretend to be feds again of course the 79th fall for yep. again now it's 430 things are winding down McDowell shows up back at the battlefield again to rally his army he wants to attack Henry Hill House yet again so he's going to send in those Irish New Yorkers and on the 69th under Michael Corcoran
1: yep.
0: in the 38th New York of Wilcox Brigade to attack pretty much in vain to try to get those Griffins guns again. What the hell? Why not? If yep. tried 10 times, on 11 times. Yep. Of course, it doesn't work. So by 5 o'clock, the feds are driving the revs off Henry Hill House, and they kind of actually hold the area. They kind of have a little success, but they can't yeah. hold the ground. Rebs get reinforced by... Our friend Philip St. George Cock, he shows up along with Millage, <laughs> Millage Bonham. So Cock rises to the occasion, shows up with Bonham. Sterling Amwood um, Wood drive. with him? I don't know if he was there or not. We'll find out. The 8th Virginia, which is part of Cock's brigade, is going to charge that hill. And it's going to cause a big mass panic. And this is when the real big mess really starts yeah. for the for the Union. So the 8th Virginia that, of that, of Cox Brigade is going to charge that hill. And it's going to lead to really a full retreat. Corcoran of the 69th is going to be caught here. This is when all the federal troops basically say the hell with this and they go. Yeah. They're going to move up f- away from Henry Hill House. they would be panicked full fleet from the battlefield. Heinzman's division is the last division with any troops left. And this is when, Mary... They save the best for last because marching up the road with this full set of arms comes Oliver Otis Howard, his third brigade, which is his final brigade to attack. And as Princess Leah would, would probably say, Oliver, you are our last hope.
1: He he really is. And the thing is, is because his men, as I said, like they were told at 8 a.m., you need to wait here. They're waiting in the hot sun. It's like 90 degrees, it's humid, you know, not great conditions. The men are exhausted and they're probably dehydrated which is a horrible feeling but then around noon it's like okay you guys are gonna go to a place called chin ridge and the guy that leads them to it it should only have been three miles it ends up being a lot longer than that and by the time howard gets to that position He's lost like half. He says, I've lost half my fucking men. And he gets there. And as he's going there, he can hear the sounds of the retreat. And he's probably like, what, what the hell's going on? And he gets there and he's routed completely.
0: He's going to have a tough time. Now, he- as he's moving forward, he's going to see stragglers going the opposite direction. Yep. And so and he's going to be, be beaten like, up what? a little bit. Now, <laughs> What's
1: going on? How-
0: now, Howard, you know, you mentioned before, he has a real tough force march. Now, Howard screws up along the way because he he loses hundreds on the way because this is too hot. They drop out. He doesn't let them put their backpacks down. He makes them carry all their gear. Which is a huge mistake, Ram. It is. He, they're sort of dropping their stuff off and lighting the load. He makes them carry all their stuff. So 5 o'clock, is going to get put in. He's going to be at a place called Chins Ridge, yeah. right? And which is west of the uh, the Hill House. He puts them right into the battle line. and They're going to move forward. Now, again, you're going to start to see this fresh brigade. They're fresh, but it's hot and they're tired. They're just going right marching this long route route yep. into battle as the confederates are getting more and more support they're getting more and more replacements you can see how this is going right so all of howard's regiments are gonna get repulsed pretty quickly at chin ridge okay his main and vermont men dare i say they ahem uh, run from the scene mary they do and that's what's gonna happen what's gonna happen the confederates are gonna set up a really really strong defensive line that's gonna run down that manassas Sudley road and curl yeah. left and it's gonna face chin ridge it's kind of like a backwards L. A strong battle line facing Howard's guys on Chin Ridge. Jessup couldn't get better for the Confederates, right? In comes Jubal Early 6th yep. Sixth Divi- Sixth Brigade. Kirby Smith's going to show up. They're all going to show up just to be on this line. Kirby Smith is going to be injured pretty yep. quickly. guy named Colonel Arnold Elsey is going to take over. And he's going to order a charge. They're going to charge at Howard's remaining guys. And they're going to do it towards Chin Ridge. By the time they get there, Howard's guys are pretty much gone already there's no one to charge. Yeah, they're, they, done. Su- they, they, they're done. If they flee the fields.
1: I'm sorry, but if it gonna... was anybody else, if it was Hancock leading these guys, it would have been the same fucking thing because they've been waiting in the sun all day and they're exhausted. You know, I mean, it's, it's
0: a tough spot for them, you know, yeah. but Howard's retreat is really the last domino of fall for the union in this situation. There's, yeah. there's nobody left. They're going to be chased, you know, by Elzy and early and Jeb's cavalry for a while. Mm-hmm. And eventually they're going to stop chasing them. Early said that he saw thousands of Union troops fleeing up the Warrington Turnpike. Howard's going to do his best to his defense, Mary, try to rally his guys. But his green troops are in a full panic. They're like, no way. This is an all is well, all is well. You can cue the chariots of theme, theme music. you, yep. you want to picture that, they're all running. Yep. And this is not a slot on Howard because I think at this spot, anybody, again, would have been in that spot. These are yep. green troops that are marching. Beauregard, okay, He is going to order his line forward to try to grab the stragglers. And this is when they they talk about the federal troops in full running. And they're getting slowed down by those civilians who are clogging the roads. And it's going to be called later on as the Great Skedaddle. That's what they call this. So the Federals are going to try to go, and they're getting stuck in traffic jams going back to Washington because of officials and politicians, these buggies that are delaying their escape. But by 6 p.m., the battle is over. And it's going to be a gigantic, gigantic Confederate victory. So any thoughts that this war was going to be a quick battle? These dudes will sign these 90-day papers to get a quick win.
1: Yep. You know, the
0: thimble, the handkerchief, whatever the stuff you want to say. <laughs> it goes it, go, it goes, completely out the window. Beauregard doesn't chase them, though, because his army's beaten up, too, and he knows it.
1: Yeah, and the heat so he, has he, definitely he, affected them as well, just like it does at, like, you know, you see in 1864, Battle of Kennesaw, the heat affects these men as well, and that's what plays into a lot of these battles ending in the summertime. It's just, it's exhaustion, right? Like, yeah. there was one point where, I think it was Howard's men on, on Chin Ridge, like, they would go in to fight, and they would stop and go to the stream and fill up their canteens and take a drink, and then they looked down at the stream and it was filled, it and it had blood flowing through it just because it would have been happening earlier in the day.
0: There's so many things about this that end up being a complete route. And what's what's something you gotta give the Confederates credit for is they have green troops as well. Right. They have green troops as well. So looking at the final numbers. At this point, as of July 21st, 1861, this is the bloodiest battle in American history at that time. And there's going to be a ton of these down the road after this, right? So yeah. out of the 18,000 American U.S. federal troops, there's going to be 2,700 casualties, right? Out of the 18,000 Confederacy, there's going be about 2,000. But to, any, to your point, any hope of something that's going to be a quick and quick battle goes completely out the window with this. This is going to be a long and sordid affair. That's going to end up being about just almost exactly four years. As far as the carnage goes, you're really, really has just begun.
1: Yep, exactly. The army decides that they need to go all the way back to DC because McDowell's like, we can't reinforce at Centerville like we wanted to. And that's because the one guy that needed to cover the roads was actually drunk. Well, (laughs) there's a lot. Like there's, there's people who are drunk here. It's very, very like, it's very, very much a clusterfuck in what happens here. Howard says that there was a terrible discontent day by day in the days that followed the battle that the soldiers don't trust the officers anymore Some mutinied, some deserted, Um, supplies were short, food is not good. So it's very much a situation that you're going to see in December of 1862, January of 1863, after Fredericksburg. Very, Uh very similar situation is happening here where morale is really low. Now, Howard, his troops actually were three-year enlistments. He's one of the rare Uh ones that has three-year enlistments. But, you know, a lot of these 90 day guys, they're probably going to go through this and be like, fuck this. It's soon after this battle, one of the things that happens in the aftermath is Lincoln is finally like the light bulb goes off and it's like, yeah, this is going to be a long war. They do the three year enlistment things. But the one thing here. So so McDowell is the one that is often blamed for this battle. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, just after doing the research for it, I think that's a little bit unfair to completely put the blame on him. He's got a lot of pressure from Lincoln, from the cabinet, from Scott, from these 90-day enlistments to do battle. He's got pressure from the media saying, on to Richmond, on to Richmond, that kind of battle cry that they've got going. And the one quote I found was from, shockingly, from Howard. And it's clear Uh that he and Sherman sat down and talked about this at some point. About Bull Run, you know, who knows if it was right after or maybe when they were on the Atlanta campaign together on the March to the Sea. Sherman did say that we must not be too critical and hard upon them, for we were green in those days, and we all have to learn by experience. We were taught then many lessons the indispensable need of organization, of proper commanders, drill, and discipline. How little things like waiting over or over haste in marching or unloading the men, certainly forestall defeat. How essential it is somehow to keep the men who fight in confidence and in heart. How and when to bring up the supports and reserves and use them to the best advantage. And that's what Howard takes away from this, and especially after talking to Sherman, is that this whole thing is a learning experience for them. So we all know who comes into command after this. McClellan. And we all see what he does. And McClellan is somebody that is very heavily criticized. And yes, some of it is very warranted. But I think you need to look at Bull Run and look at what McClellan does and look at how he does bring up the morale, kind of fix the AOP and bring them back around from this horrible defeat. It's a lot like what Joe Hooker has to do when he takes command in early 1863. Mm -hmm. He's got to kind of build on What McClellan has done, Burnside comes in and kind of, sorry, but he does break that. He does break that. He takes them to a low point where they probably were same as they were at Bull Run, and Hooker brings them back up again. So I think when you're looking at McClellan and him coming into command, you got to look back to Bull Run and what he inherited and what he was able to do. And this statement from Howard that this whole thing was a learning experience, that they were all green and we can't criticize McDowell too much for this. We've got to put some blame onto Lincoln, onto the cabinet onto Scott, onto the media for all that was going on at this time.
0: Well they overestimated the numbers, thinking, okay, if we get so many numbers, it's yep. gonna be okay. But it doesn't matter how many numbers you have, they're not experienced, they're not green. And to your point was a good one. Was what McClellan did is he helped get them ready. He saw what happened. He, he had some success in, in the western part of Virginia, but yep. he saw the mess that was taking place in Virginia because of these green troops. He knew that he was going to fight these guys again because the Confederates, they're green too, but they're pretty good and they're fighting in their own land. Yep. If we're going to fight these guys down there, we need to be ready. So he's going to spend a lot of time preparing his army to fight and he will have success. He'll be accused of being slow and plotting. But what would you rather have? A slow and plotting army that fights well or a fast army like mcdowell's gets their ass ripped up because that's the choice you have yeah if you don't have it if you don't practice if you're a team you don't practice you're going to lose i don't care how good you are they needed to practice and that's what what got mcdowell in this one is he had those enlistment papers in his head running down he's having pressure from lincoln in the white house to get this done quick because if the paper's running out you have to move quick and you know, if you could conjure up his thoughts and read what he was thinking at the time, you could tell by his body language and what he wrote by his actions, he didn't want to fight this. He reluctantly fought this battle. He didn't yep. want to take the damn position. He did, but he knew he had to do it. He knew that he was going in, and what got him was he had that initial success in the morning phase of Bull Run, when things were going good. Yep. But the problem was, too, is where they attacked from. They attacked from the north. If they attacked from the south and took the railroad junction, they could have kept those re- those troops, those reinforcements from coming. As they were fighting in the north, they're getting bogged down at the Matthews Hill and the Henry House Hill. They were pretty much setting up a line there, but they they always had that troops, kind of like when we talked about um some of these other battles we talked about Stones River example. Yeah. You don't take the railroad station, so you can continually get fresh troops and and supplies in. And that was the mistake they made by where they attacked from. So at the end of the day, it wasn't a quick battle. It wasn't a quick war. It was the beginning of a long and sordid stretch for both armies. Dowell isn't going to last long. He's going to be replaced pretty quickly, as you said. And it's going to set up a domino effect on generals in the north until Lincoln finally finds his guy. He will obviously finally win the war, but he does so by letting experienced generals and experienced soldiers fight the battles and not going in half cock, which is what happened
1: here. Yeah. I think the thing to take away is McDowell, yes, he needs to shoulder some of the blame for this, but not completely. And I think this is kind of when you're looking at at Bull Run to look to who takes over after McClellan and what he has to do, how he manages to whip this army into shape. But the other thing about McClellan too, is he had something that that McDowell didn't, he was able to get the troops to like him as arrogant of a bastard that McClellan is. And like, he's not my favorite as a person. He's he's not great. But I, I think he definitely is. Um, He has some good points as a general, as we've talked about on this podcast before. He's not perfect at all. He has his errors, but I don't think he needs to shoulder a lot of the blame. That he does. Oh. You know, we're not being apologists for him, but we're just saying like, you know, sometimes like these guys need a reevaluation and need to look at the, the bigger picture to understand what they do. And you can't just say like, oh, it's all his fault.
0: No, but the, in a nutshell, this battle, it's it's too, It's a melee. It's a confusing fight between two green armies. The stability that, that is brought in by Stonewall Jackson, guys like that really do benefit the Confederacy in this one. Yep. And I think some of the, um, the mistakes that were made, Hunter being hurt early, forcing Burnside to fight some of the way they attacked by the way that it took so long for Tyler to cross up that, that stone bridge and send guys like Sherman and shank and keys and Richardson across the bridge and they could have used them earlier you can see the mistakes that are made again using our 2020 hindsight 150 plus years later bull run will still be in the battle in the same battlefield next year after that we'll, yep. We've already which was our so second was, episode that was our was second was little, episode little so if you want to talk if you want to
1: hear about second Bull Run check out episode two of Civil War Breakfast club because that's what we I will say
0: just Editorial quick point, Mary. There is no more pretty battlefield than Bull Run on the mm-hmm. East. There's none. It's a, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. And if you want to see how important historical value is in this country, I want you to go on Google Earth. And I want you mm-hmm. to pull up Manassas. And I want you to look north of 95, where the battlefield is, and south and see all the strip malls and everything else in Manassas and realize that would have continued all the way across if they didn't save that battlefield. And you can really see it from the sky. So, anyway. I think that's a good point to drop off here is. as we can skedaddle off yep. to our next episode, Mary.
1: Yep. We have yet to determine what our next episode is, which is the first for us here
0: in Civil War Breakfast Club. We had a plan for next week, but unfortunately our guest had yep. to change plans. Yep. So we're going totally, totally so. to push that
1: into August for an August episode, which is totally cool. So we always have um, contingency plans here at the podcast. So we will come up with that. Uh, usual Facebook Live will be at 10 a.m. on Saturday. So if you l- listen to this early Saturday morning you can join us on Facebook for that our next book club is coming up but not till September but if you want to know what we're reading we are reading Assassin's Accomplice by Dr. Kate Clifford Larson and if you haven't signed up for that info at com, and we will add you to our book club list and send you a invite for that when we discuss it in September so very cool I think that was a great discussion thank you as always for bringing it <laughs>
0: It's a little technical, this one, but it's, it's important. I got a little bit ahead up. there,
1: as usual. Oh, it's
0: okay. And, j- and then just like that, at surrendered Appomattox. Oh, you know, it but no. It a more Breakfast
1: Club episode if I didn't do that no, at least once it's,
0: it's okay. There's, there's a lot of moving parts with this one. But in any case, so anyway, uh, off we go. So looking forward to some next things here as we move on to our next episode. So looking forward to some of the fun stuff we have coming down the pike as we get ready to episode question mark. Our big, 5-0, yep. you big know, 5-0 starts next week. Yep. So we'll off to the next one. So Mary, again, great job. As always, a lot of fun talking Civil War nerdery with you. No one knows it better than you. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, once, and once again, um, I appreciate the, uh, the people who listen and listen to the silly little thing we do because it's so much fun. It is yep. a lot of fun. So well, anyway, I,
1: that. I appreciate everybody too. And um, you know it more than anybody, so there. <laughs> No, okay. <laughs> no, really good, but <laughs> but yeah, okay. thank you to all our listeners, all your support over these 49 episodes. Can't believe we're already at almost the big five-zero. So anyway, everybody have awesome Saturday because that's when this episode drops. So we will see you all on our Facebook Live maybe. And if not, later on. All
0: right. Peace out, everybody. See you
1: later, guys. Bye.